Support for Meaningful Conversations comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you get to create your very own professional website. Wix gives you the freedom to create anything. It doesn't matter if you're building a website for the very first time or if you're a long-term pro. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. With Wix, you can build an inspiring website for you or your business today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Meaningful Conversations to get 10% off. I'm Maria Shriver, and this is Meaningful Conversations. On every episode, we'll take a journey into the lives of inspiring, thoughtful, thought-provoking people. People who are smart, spirited, and spiritual. People who have done extraordinary things to make a positive impact on our world. These are people I respect and admire. People who inspire me. I want them to share their stories, their experiences, their wisdom, and their feelings with you. I hope we can come together in community to reflect on the issues and topics that we're all thinking about, but no one seems to be talking about. I hope that you're inspired to have more meaningful conversations with the people in your life. Chelsea Handler is one funny lady, that's a fact. But these days, she's more than just a comedian. Chelsea is also someone who spent the past year getting super honest and super real about her role on this planet and what it really means to live a meaningful life. Chelsea documents her year of self-discovery in her new book, Life Will Be the Death of Me and You Too. We recently met up for a fun, thought-provoking, and very moving conversation about her life these days, about the losses she's encountered, about family, and about what it means to live a meaningful life and how she wants to give back to the world. So Chelsea, this book is really about your midlife awakening. Or crisis. Or crisis. I was trying to be kind. You don't like the word (laughs) journey. But it's really about you kind of going, whoa. And I'm curious as to what made you go, whoa, and why you think people might be interested in that awakening. I had an awakening after the election in 2016 because I just couldn't believe that something that terrible could happen in my perfect universe. You know, life was my life has been of like one great thing after another. I had a lot of trauma during my childhood, but not enough to get me so far off course that I couldn't enjoy and aspire to have great fun and great family and great laughs and a great career. And I got rewarded for a lot of things. And I thought, wow, you know, my life was just going. I thought I worked so hard. I worked so hard. I deserve this. I deserve this. I think that's what we all say to ourselves sometimes. I deserve this. And the reality of 
of that came after the election when I realized how rarefied my life had been that this was the first time that I had to wake up and be scared for the world, you know? And it was out, took me out of myself and made me really look around and see what, what's happening outside of my lane and what other people are going through. And everything that came with the election and the darkness and the racism and everything that's been around all along, but became, it just became at such a high volume, you know, it, it turned on to such a high volume that it was hard for me to ignore. And it made me really dive into myself to understand why I was so, felt such outrage, why I felt so unhinged. But wasn't the election really also a chance for you to go, wow, I don't actually know what's going on in this country. Yes. I'm removed, yeah. I'm shocked. So that was the first like, whoa, yes. there's a whole country out there that I don't know sitting on my, in my really nice house in Bel Air. Yeah, and you know, you hear the word elitist, elitist. I'm like, I'm not an elitist, I'm from New Jersey. My dad's a used car dealer, I didn't even go to college. How can I be an elitist? It's like, yeah, I'm an elitist. It's, I tried very hard to become one. You know, I wanted to get away from New Jersey. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to be able to support myself, to not depend on anybody. And you know, you are an elitist when you live in this world. We're, we're all in our own bubbles. We all are, you know, trying to make the best of what we can do. And we're thinking about ourselves before we're thinking about others. Most people, I think, until you have an awakening and you say, oh gosh, I've been really, you know, I've had my head really far up that area of my body for a long time. And it would be nice to find out what else is happening in the world and why something like this could have happened. So, but that's kind of a surprise because you have a nightly television show. You're talking to people who've got books all the time, who are doing interesting things. It's not like you were closeted. You were out in the world, so to speak. You did comedy tours. So how do you think what happened in 2016 caught you so off guard? I think for me it was, and I'm now I'm going to use phrases that I abhor, like you know, trigger and universe and gratitude. Watch, I'm going to be like, come one of these people. I'm like, I'm not going on a silent retreat anytime soon. If that's you know, like just let's get that out there so people can still pay attention to what I'm saying. But it, for me, it triggered what happened to me when I was a little girl, which was I was nine years old and my brother looked at me and he was going on vacation for two weeks, hiking in the Grand Tetons, and he was the oldest and I was the youngest. Mm -hmm. And he, I said, please don't go away. Let's go to Martha's Vineyard with the whole family like we always did. And I don't want to go without you. And he's like, don't worry. I'm never, you know, going to leave you with these people. I'll always come back for these you. These people being your parents and your yeah, other Yeah, my parents. We always called them those people because we're like, what? what's your plan? And then he went hiking and he died and he never came back. So my experience as a nine-year-old girl became, I lost my first crush, my brother, mm -hmm. and my dad was gone after that. He retreated. We all kind of went into our own corners and tried to repair ourselves because we were of no use to each other. And it represented the world being unhinged again and me not being in the driver's seat. And so, yes, it's not about Donald Trump. It's about what Donald Trump represents, which is, you know, instability and destabilization. And for me, then I... I worked with a psychiatrist, Dan Siegel, who I interviewed on my Netflix show. And I started talking to him about things, mostly Trump, the first couple of sessions. And then I realized, okay, I can get onto the, some real stuff. Now, in the book, there's a scene, or you write about a moment. You had been going to Dan, your therapist, and you write about a moment when he brought you an orange. Yeah. And you burst into tears. And reading it, I burst into tears. And it was in that moment that you said, let me tell you what happened to me. 
Yeah. What was it about that moment when somebody reached over to you and gave you an orange that unhinged you or broke you open? I think it was just the jet, like the, the simple act of kindness of a man like looking after me <laughs> and saying like, hey, I got you something. And me saying, yes, I can, I'll take it instead of going, I don't need anything from you. I don't need anything from any man because the last time I trusted somebody, that's what happened. I didn't know your nine-year-old brain could get stuck emotionally with regard to men. I didn't know. I thought, oh, I'm doing, I'm having a successful career. I've written all these books. I'm I'm killing it, you know? Yeah. But I can't be in a relationship because I'm so, I have such a deep injury that I have never addressed. So when he gave me that orange and I took it and I was like, oh, I thought of all the reasons I didn't want the orange. It was warm. I don't like warm fruit. I was like, so annoying. Peeling it, it was going to be a hot mess. And I don't have, you know, I don't eat carbs. I live in LA. So it was three strikes. And I took it and I just started opening it and I realized like, oh, this is what accepting help is like. Yeah. And what came out? I think it's, you know, I, I, I know everything from the day of his death and the days following and the years following and my habits of behavior and my, the way I stood up and was going to be strong because I saw what happened to my father. I'd never seen my father cry. So I was going to be strong then. I was like, oh, everybody's weak. This isn't good. This isn't good. And I'm going to be resilient. You know, I just shut down. I never talked about my brother. I never spoke about it. If I got like this, I'd have to, you know, I'd fight it. I couldn't cry in front of anybody. Never my, I mean, not even my parents. And so you I felt you couldn't. I felt I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah. I didn't feel like I could rely on anybody. Everybody that was reliable kept screwing up. So learning that about yourself in like a long, you know, I have the, I had the luxury of spending a year going to therapy to find out why am I so angry? Why am I so outraged? Learning about how that stays with you and sticks with you. And until you address it, there's no shortcut through grief. Yeah. You know, you have to go through it. You can't go around it. You can't ignore it. You have to go through it and go through the pain and cry with somebody until you can get it out of your system. And I didn't realize the value in that because I thought, oh, I have a show named after me. I have my name in every book. Am I really going to go to a psychiatrist and talk about myself more? It's enough already. I was over it myself. But you hadn't actually even started. Yeah. So you had, you had kind of been out in public but never gave up what was really going on, and you actually didn't even really know what was going on. No. I thought I was too smart to have to ever go to therapy. I thought everyone in this town goes to therapy. I'm not going to be like one of these actresses. You know, I judged everything that I knew nothing about. It's like when you're resistant to an idea, it's because it scares you. It's going to take you off balance. And I'm always like, you know, this tough, strong person. I've started to believe that I was that person after enough time of faking something. You are. And I am that person. That's very much who I am. But I have to understand how I got there. But is, is, aren't you also something else? Yeah, multidimensional. I think, I think that's the important thing to realize. And also from a p place of, you know, I didn't realize how, how people were perceiving that strength. I thought I was reliable. Like, oh, people love me. I'm great. I'm going to show up. I'll be the best friend you'll ever have. You ever need me? I'm the girl. Like, that's, that's one dimensional. There are so many other nuances that are important to be, you know, be a part of in life. And so that was my main goal. And then, you know, once you learn more about why you act the way you are, why I have a lack of patience or why I have a lack of empathy. You, yeah, start... you said in the book, a big realization for you was that you had no empathy. Yeah. And I, 
how do you manifest your empathy today? Do you have it now? Well, first of all, as soon as someone tells you, like, I'm such a good receiver of bad information about myself, <laughs> like, I love it, criticism. I want it, especially from people who, you know, I think have my best interest at heart. I right. want you to tell me. Well, it was an observation as opposed to a criticism, right? Yes. And uh, so, you know, one thing Dan and I spoke a lot about is identification, awareness, modification, like identifying that I have a lack I of am. empathy. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I am going to get empathy. <laughs> yes. right. But identifying something is half the battle, as we all know. And then being aware of it and then modifying your behavior is the last step. So it's like, you, as soon as you can start to identify things, I mean, at least for me, then it's, I, okay. And then you take a couple steps forward and then you screw up again and then you're like, no, 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 next time I'm going to get this. And then that becomes your new habit. So is this a book for you about grief? Is it a book about loss? Is it a book about being a new person at midlife? Is it a book about family and you can survive whatever that family is? I think it's, I mean, I didn't want to write a book. I haven't written a book in like five years because I didn't think I had anything to say. And I'm sick of just cashing checks and then delivering a book. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like giving me the impetus before. I wanted to, this came out of a real place. I had the time to focus on one thing rather than multiple things. And I just did this and I did a documentary for Netflix. But this is the first thing that I'm putting out there since I've kind of woken up and been like, wow, I want to really contribute. And when I would go with these sessions to Dan, I came home and I started writing his notes down when he would tell yeah. me something like, I am. I'd be like, okay, I am. <laughs> you know. And I was trying to meditate and I was really trying hard and I was failing and failing and I didn't think I was connecting. And I just thought, how many other people in the world are dealing with this? Trying to get to this like next level in life and struggling or not dealing with grief. It's the most relatable thing on the planet. And you know, I was like, I can't write a book about death. It sounds so serious. Nobody wants that from me. And it's not, I mean, the book, it was, that's why it was important for the book to be funny because I want, it, I want to be entertained while I'm thinking. But what is it? Is it a book about death? Is it a book about grief? No, I think it's a book about life. And it's about how you habituate your patterns and what you can do to unlock bad patterns and the positivity of like optimism and hope and being up. And, and, and being patient with people and like really not judging people. That's really hard for me because I am annoyed by almost everybody. So, I mean, cannabis helps with that a lot, but I've also worked very hard to not be so judgy. Why am I annoyed by everybody? You know, like that's my problem. That's an inside job. So the other thing about grief- Do I sound like the Dalai Lama to you? Not, not I yet, feel like no, I'm talking you, like no you're not. He talks much softer, mm. he talks I'll calmer. never be soft, I'll never talk softly, don't worry about yeah, that. Yeah, so, but it's, the other thing about grief is it just keeps coming many times in waves, right? And do you feel that like after a year of kind of getting to the bottom of an understanding that your nine-year-old self is really controlling your 40-something-year-old self, but that you've processed your brother's death or it's something that you're going to keep continuing to process and you're okay with that now? Yeah, I think I've processed the bulk of it, like in a mature intellectual 44-year-old way, like in, in a non-emotional state right. to understand it wasn't a rejection, you know, that he died, it was an accident. He didn't leave me because he found another sister he liked better. He died. And that's what you thought? I thought it, well, he must, he, I was mad at him for 10 years, you know, or for 30. Yeah. Who knows? 
I wouldn't admit that it's intellectually, but emotionally, if, if his name came up, it was this and, you know, uncontrolled. So, I mean, that was one thing that happened with Dan when he said, uh, he said, you know, I want to get you to a place that you can be in a healthy, long-term relationship with someone and understand that if they die, you're going to be okay. And I was like, no, 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 but nobody can die. Nobody, no death. I can die. Nobody else dies anymore. Like too much. And he, you know, then he stopped and was like, look what just happened to your body. Look what happened to you. Right. Like you have this reaction because it just means this one thing and it, and it has to be much broader than that. So it was hugely eye-opening and in every capacity. And I think I'm not done with my work. Yeah. I did a lot really like condensed. So I'm, you know, I see Dan once a month now. I don't see him as much because I want to incorporate it all into my life. You know, every day is like, okay, I'm going to be really patient today, not lose my temper, focus only on the work I want to do. Don't use money as a motivation. You know, it's a slight motivation sometimes. But, you know, to be really present and do things that I care about. I'm old enough to know better. <laughs> don't go away. We'll have more of the conversation in just a moment. But first, let's talk about one of our sponsors. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that does all the meal planning, shopping, and prepping so you can focus on a healthier you and a happier family. HelloFresh is home-cooked meals made simple. Each week, pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow recipe cards are delivered to your door in a special insulated box. All meals come together in 30 minutes max. They call for less than two pots and pans, woo, and they require minimal cleanup. HelloFresh offers three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family, and can always switch between the plans when your tastes change. So get out of that recipe rut and start discovering new, delicious, easy-to-make recipes. Right now, listeners of this episode can get $80 off their first month of HelloFresh by going to hellofresh.com meaningful80 and entering the promo code meaningful80. Once again, that's hellofresh.com meaningful80, promo code meaningful80. Now let's get back to the conversation. There's this one scene, and you talk in the book a lot about your siblings, your parents, and it's both funny, sad, sassy, but there's something in here where you talk about when your mom was dying, she died of cancer, and I thought that this was a really great thing where she said, you know, you don't know your own strength. She said to me one afternoon, squeezing my hand, Please use it for something good. I know you're going to have a big life, but don't forget about your brothers and sisters. So there's two parts in there that I want to ask you about. Please, you're going to have a big life, check. Use it for something good. How do you feel you're using your life now for something good? Because I'm not just serving myself. Like, I'm not thinking about... You know, it's it, there's a it's important obviously to take care of you know there, and in my book I talk about you know how so it's it's important to clean out your own injuries before you can be really of use to anyone else and when the election happened all I wanted to do was throw myself into campaigning for women and people right. of color and all of that so that was the first good thing I did but when I put my foot in that I just went as usual 90 miles an hour got all the information after the fact you know what I mean yeah. just constantly like who could I have a fundraiser for who can I go campaign for who how can I help and what can I tweet 
So through that is when I started going to therapy and realizing how to harness your strength in the best way. Like I can do projects I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about. I don't have to be on a show that I'm not really that into doing anymore. I can do, I'm in charge of me. Like right. I get to make my, my story. And so doing things that are going to start a conversation more than just checking a box, I think is how I look at it. Like I did this Netflix documentary about privilege, my own privilege that I became awakened to, you know, a couple of years ago and how easy my life has been and how little struggle I've really had. Heartache, yes, but real struggle, no. I've never been hungry or, you know, wanted for basic necessities. So that documentary I think is important because I think it's important for people like me who live rarefied lives to kind of do stuff that's going to be uncomfortable and start conversations where we can get, you know, places. And, and say the things that people are scared to say. I don't have a fear of that, and I get a lot of backlash for it, but I'm also fine with that because I like to have a conversation, a real one. So that's how I think about contributing moving forward. I think this book will help a lot of people who haven't been able to express the things that I wasn't able to express, and I think I want to do as much work as I... I mean, obviously, I want to be silly and funny and have all my idiocy remain because that's truly who I am, right. but I want to use that in a responsible way and not just to whatever sticks way. So how will people, audiences, be experiencing this version, this awakened version of Chelsea, this awake Chelsea, differently than the Chelsea of three years ago, four years ago, the person that was had her own show that was doing stand-up comedy? How is this person different? Well, she'll have her top on, for starters. <laughs> No stripping. No more. I'm over that. That was. Just, I, I had to make a statement for myself. I think it's just like I think you know everybody evolves. You know we're always having this. You know we've had many conversations, you and I, about evolution and what and and our own self discovery and everything. And I think the more we talk about the things that happen to our, our brains and to our lives as women, as human beings, and share it with each other, the more that we can destigmatize all the nastiness that comes along with what every single person goes through. So I hope that people will see me as like an arbiter of truth. You know, I always tell the truth about my experience, and luckily my experiences are getting a little bit more mature. <laughs> oh, you're looking, you're, and you're sharing your different experiences, right? Yeah, like, you know, there's a chapter in my book about ayahuasca. I did the documentary for Netflix on ayahuasca, and people, I mean, I get asked about that more than anything, more than I get asked about Chewy from Chelsea Lately. And people want to know, because people are, and, you know, the power of that messaging, to take a risk that not everybody's taking on camera. right is a great eye-opener for so many people, and it, and it helps so many people decide whether or not that's for them or intriguing. And that's what I want to do with any of the stuff that I'm putting out on camera. I want it to be experiential so I can, you can take something away from it. That experience in the book where you write about ayahuasca, to me, was interesting because it actually opened a different relationship with one of your sisters. Mm -hmm. And that's the second thing your mother said, take care of your brothers and sisters. And that's something that my mother said to me all the time. So that resonated with me. So family, taking care of your brothers and sisters, understanding that their experiences with grief, with loss, with your parents is different from yours, is kind of something that I think people in families can relate to. So how did ayahuasca change your sibling relationship? It just really highlighted my sister, Shoshana, who's always the, the next oldest for me. And she was the baby for five and a half years before I came along. And 
stole her thunder, as she likes to say. And she was just like kicked to the back seat of the attention getter because I was like, you know, steamrolled over her. I was like, all about me, here I come. And I didn't really ever have empathy to understand what that must have been like for her. I just always thought she was like, she told on me all the time, you know. She would go off to parties when she was like 12 and 13 on the vineyard to bonfires and she'd come home, I was eight. I'd be like, did you smoke some pot? And she's like, no, I would never. I'm like, why are you going to a bonfire if you're not gonna smoke some pot? I need some reports back. Like, you're able to go out, feed me information. Like, I ha was on my own channel, you know. I never right. looked at her channel and thought that she had a different experience. I just thought she was a buzzkill. And so when I did ayahuasca, I had this un overwhelming feeling of love for her and for our childhood memories on the vineyard and Contema Bay and splashing around on kayaks and laughing and running on the beach. And you just, I saw all these visuals of scenes that were true, that had played out in my childhood that I could recall once I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I remember, oh yeah, that's that dog Muttley we used to have. And it was like, there's nothing closer than a sister. It was magical, and it reminded me of the love that you share. Like, it's the person that knows you the most in the world. Mm -hmm. They saw you get boobs, you know what I mean? They see you naked. You can do anything in front of your sister, and they're going to, you know, you're going to still talk again. <laughs> yeah. This, this book really, though, as you, you really go through your family in a deep way, right? Formed by your family, formed by the loss of your brother, your parents' reaction to that, your siblings' reaction to that. Have you sat down with your siblings in anticipation of the publication of this book to talk about the loss of your brother, to talk about how you experienced your parents? Well, we talk about my parents a lot, and we have all very similar experiences. But the loss of my brother, we've, talk, we've definitely touched on. No, I'm sure there's a conversation that we could have that would be beneficial to us all. It's just like this. You know, it's yeah. so raw because I don't think any of us have really dealt with it. We all have our own variations. I don't even remember being with my sister when I found out about Chet dying. And she was next to me the whole night. Like, we drove home in the van together. I have no recollection of her being there whatsoever. I thought it was Simone, my mom, and me. So I think it's really helpful to discuss, discuss grief with your siblings and, and anybody you experienced it with because you, we have no idea how the other person's interpreting it or what their memory is right? and how we color our own memories of certain events. Is your, and I don't know if it's a goal of yours, but at some point to be able to talk about the loss of your brother and that experience without emotion or are you like, I like this, I like that it's still... In a way, he's alive in you. In a way, it's still a big part of you. Are you kind? Of, are you the person who's like, I want to get over this? I do want to get over it. I mean, I'm not thrilled that I'm sitting here with my eyes watering. I'm not thrilled that I'm probably going to do that during a lot of interviews for this tour. I'm like, I mean, and I, I don't know, but I know that it's okay. That it doesn't matter, like what anyone thinks. It's like it's it's the truth. What do you think? that it's the truth and that it's worthwhile to go through. And, you know, I know a lot of, I think the thing that hits me the most is I didn't think about, you know, how strong I came across for so long. I just thought there's all these other sides of me that everybody must automatically know about. But there was only really one side of me I was showing on, like, say, Chelsea Lately, my old, old TV show. And I didn't realize how one-dimensional that was. You know, I didn't watch the show. <laughs> so, yeah. So... It's nice to take into account how I come across and to be softer and to shut up and not to insert myself every time there's an opportunity. So for me, 
I need to always dial it down. I don't need to, but I've made a career out of dialing it up. So I would like to get real, you know, instead of that bluster, I want to get real and have conversations like this. And yeah, I feel good about it. It's the right thing. To feel. Yeah. You spent a whole life not feeling. Right. Pushing it away. Yeah. Pushing guys away, being like, I'm not getting married. Any sign of vulnerability. Kids, well, kids, I really just don't want them. But, you know, any sign of like, oh, I, I want a boyfriend. Or, you know, girls would say, I need a boy. I want to meet someone. I always thought that felt needy. And it's like, oh, it's okay to say I want a boyfriend. I don't You, need you dedicate this book to your future husband. Is that something Both you're... Both of them. Both <laughs> Our future husbands. Our future husbands, that's right. So, but is that something, do you put that in to be funny or is that true? No, it's funny. I mean, hopefully funny and true. Hopefully funny and true. And so that's something you're like, okay, now, because you, you say in the book, in therapy, you actually step back and said, okay, I'm actually ready at 44 for a healthy relationship with a man. Who skis. Who skis. So that is a huge awakening really for you or a huge kind of honesty, piece of honesty that you actually want to do that and are not going to try to push it away because you don't want intimacy or you don't want to be left. It's about saying it enough times that you're comfortable with it. Like I, I, I wasn't comfortable saying that for a long time. And I realized, okay, get real about, do you, do you want a boyfriend or you just convinced yourself that you don't? And you know, when I think about it, I would, I would like that. Yeah, I feel like I've done enough work to be in a healthy relationship. And if I don't, that's also fine too. It doesn't you know, define me. Nothing defines me. That's what I learned. Not one event defines you. Not one person defines you. You could be, have your life ripped open by one person. And that is not the definition of who you are. You, everyone is so much more than that. So it's about leaning into those, those times where you feel like you know, the walls are closing in and you feel like, oh, this is it. Why am I even on this earth? That is the moment that you like, blossom and learn. If you're willing to like, sit with yourself, that is an opportunity for huge growth. And it's a cliche or sounds cliche because it's true. Do you think people before this interview, right, or before this book would have looked at you and think, She's got no problems whatsoever. She's making a lot of money. She's funny. She's sexy. She's blonde. She's got it all going. She must never go up to her house and be by herself and feel lonely, sad, or upset. Yeah. You projected that. Mm -hmm. How contrary is that? How much of a projection? How disingenuous is it? I mean, it's not. I do have a really, I have a lot of fun with myself. I mean, I, you know what I mean? I like my company. So I'm not, I don't have, you know, a depressive personality. I have more anger. I get angry when things don't go right or when things are unjust. I don't have a calm or, and I don't have a lot of fear. So I have mostly, you know, I'm confident, you know, I'm into myself. I like what, what's happening with me. I'm, I don't like, I'm a little bit embarrassed about who I was, but I don't even want to talk about that because it's all about moving forward and just making changes and becoming cooler. What were you embarrassed about? What are you embarrassed about? Just how loud and, you know, how loud I have been and just like, who do I think I am and who cares about all my opinions? Like, I was evaluating everyone else when really I needed to be evaluating myself. That's the definition of projection. Right? So yes. you actually have Donald Trump to thank. I do. I'm going to send him a thank you letter as soon as I get his address. I have no idea where he lives these days. In the book, you write a lot about Bob Mueller. 
since is we I'm attracted don't have a, to Bob Mueller. And I think that you might be too. I'm not attracted to Bob Mueller, but I want to know, are you still attracted to Bob Mueller even after the report? I have to read the report to give a full report on my attraction on Bob Mueller, but I would say that I'm still, yes, I'm attracted to him. And I just find his work ethic and his kind of you know, an old man Marine who's still got like a six or eight pack going on underneath that shirt. I find that highly intoxicating. You're fantasizing about that because you actually haven't seen it. I've thought about him and when he gets home, yeah. But do you, are you attracted to his integrity? Yes, to integrity. what he Just represents? Like rules. Like I like men who are, I mean, obviously I don't want to marry a guy that's that into rules, but I like men that stand for something, especially when the contrast is the president. You know, I like the good guy. You like the good, that yeah. you perceive. To be I perceived him to be the good guy. And so you, you said like after the election, and I remember you telling me you wanted to throw yourself into like helping everybody, doing everything, and that people were like, who do you think you are? And you're like barreling through. Are you going to do that again now as we approach another presidential election? I'm not going to do anything until very close to the election when it's necessary. I mean, right now it's just so much noise. And I think, you know, part of my therapy was getting away from the news cycle and learning how to, like, get through my day without relying on that information. You know, not being at a 10 about everything. And and actually doing stuff that fulfills me and reading books during the day instead of if I have an hour, you know, in between stuff, watching, turning on the news. Instead, like, don't. Don't pollute your mind. Listen to podcasts that are going to motivate you. Listen to things that are going to educate you. So that's, you know, that's where I am at with all of that stuff. Was that... Yeah, no, that's... So you're, you're trying to kind of remove yourself until you feel the moment is right. Yeah. There's a focus yeah. and you have something to add. Yeah. I mean, right now we're going to have the same conversation about conjecture and speculation about each candidate for, you know, I... And it's important to read the news and not listen to it, you know? More meaningful conversations in just a bit. This episode of Meaningful Conversations is brought to you by Snow. Everyone wants their home to look and feel great. That's why Snow has created trend-proof, beautiful, functional pieces made for how you live. Snow makes luxury essentials for every room, minus the markup. They do it by partnering directly with master craftsmen to create simple products that are made to last. Snow has received rave reviews from Vogue, Fast Company, Apartment Therapy, and more all for products like their incredibly soft, award-winning sheets and fluffy duvets, or their luxurious air-spun cotton towels and robes. They also have super durable dishwasher-safe porcelain dinnerware and wine glasses with titanium and four stems, lordy. Snow offers beautiful home goods that are reasonably priced, and right now they're offering listeners of this podcast 30 bucks off your first purchase of 150. So just go to snowhome.com slash meaningful to get this great deal. Once again, that's S-N-O-W-E home.com slash meaningful to get $30 off your first order. Now back to the conversation. In this book, you, you write in the book that you got to a place when you were doing your show where you would have to interview people and you got books and you were like, oh, I don't give a anymore yeah. about that. If you had been hosting your show and you got this book, what would you have thought? 
I would have read it because I'm I'm into books. I'm into anything that's yeah, you the opposite of tabloids is what I'm interested in. Like I haven't seen a tabloid magazine in so long that I was at my friend's house the other night and she was like, I can't believe, you know, they're saying so-and-so or I are going out. I forget which friend it was. They're all on the cover. And, and I was like, who? You're going out with who? And she's like, you know, whoever it was. And I was like, when, how do you know that? She goes, Chelsea, it's all over the place. But I was so happy. I didn't know what she was talking about, you know? Yeah. I don't care about but that. But what would you have thought of this book? That book, I would have thought, uh, I would have read it for sure. And I would have been moved by it. I would have thought, wow, that, it would have made, that book would have made me take a look at myself and think about, wow, like, what are you doing that's like that, you know? So is, that is your hope? I mean, I love that you said you want to be an arbiter of truth, but do you want people to read this book and step back and go, hmm, I need to look in. I need to see, did my brain stop at 10, 15, 16? I am getting so ticked off about something going on in the world, but it's really about what's going on in me. Yes, that isn't, that wasn't, I would be lying to say like I wanted to write a book to, I mean, I wrote a book to help myself write everything down. And then when it started taking the shape of something, I thought, okay, is this something I want to share? And then I, you know, had my, an editor and say, do you, and she's, she kind of pulled it out of me. She said, you have something deep inside of you. I know you do. Like, can you write something? And I said, I don't know. Let me think about it. You know, and I started writing some stuff and then I gave it to her and I go, I don't know if I can write a book about going to therapy. I go, it's too much. Me, Chelsea Hint, like now she's all like, what am I going to get sober next? You know, it's just too much. Like it feels, it felt inauthentic. But then when I wrote it, and I was able to make it funny and pepper it with stories of, you know, silliness and my dogs. I was like, this is me. This is who I am. So why not do it? So now that I know and I've seen a small response of, you know, the feedback that you or yeah. some of our other friends and people that are reading it are giving me, I realize that it may help a ton of people. And that would be amazing <laughs> if I could do something really great. As your mother said. I hope you do something good. And in here, you talk not only about your losing your brother and then coming, but you also talk about helping your mother pass. And that's something that so many people our age, and you're much younger than me, have to go through, right? That, and you make it kind of funny and, you know, screaming for more morphine for your mom and battling the nurses. And I also have been there. But you know, kind of that's also grief, right? That's also learning. And then many people have also said that sometimes you don't become the woman you're supposed to be until you lose your mother. So I'm curious as to in what way that experience changed you as a woman. And you also write that you've had a better relationship in a way with your mother in death. Yeah, I didn't have as hard a time with my mother passing away as my sisters did and my brothers because Chet was, he just was pulled out of my life, our lives. And so that was that shock, you know? And so with my mom, we had, you know, we, months knowing that it was going towards, in a certain direction. And my life was beginning. My, my show was beginning. I had just was falling in love with someone, you know, like for the first time I was living in LA, I had gotten situated, I was making money, I was independent. So and my sisters and brothers still lived in New Jersey, so I think it was a different. And so I was able to rise to the occasion during that time, as my brothers and sisters did as well. But for me, it was definitely a coming of age. I wouldn't say it made me an adult, but it was my first step into real adulthood. What has made you an adult? Uh, ex- living, you know, experience and a heartbreak and like self-discovery and self 
kind of having, trying really hard to be as self-aware as possible. I definitely feel like adult now. I mean, I'm 44, so I should hope so. But I think I had a, you know, a bit of arrested development because I also didn't have kids and those kind of ground you, you know? I always wanted to have this life of liberty and freedom and I just wanted to be free. And kids represented like the end of fun. So when people, if they come up to you on this tour as you go out and they start talking to you about the loss of their sibling, the loss of their mother, that experience, their, you know, kind of tough times, are you up for that? Yeah, of course. I'm up for any conversation. I'm like you. You'll talk to anyone and you're engaged. Sometimes even when you're talking to me, I'm like, all right, back off a second. Seriously, like back up. I mean, you're in it, focused. And I mean, I admire that in you. I love that. You know, you really are in it when you're talking to somebody. You're like, back off? Well, sometimes it's just so intense. I'm like, okay, I got to be really on my game right now. Because yeah, my kids say, like, it's like a off. pinball machine of questions. I'm like, right, whoa, 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 I got to field it over here. But, but people have, you know, they want to, if you're opening a door to really yeah. tough no, uh, I love, experiences. I love that. There's nothing I love more than talking to, you know, people who have, yes. And it's a, and it's a topic, you know, I've only, I've done a couple events with the book yeah. and, you know, conferences about, you know, meditation I went to where they wanted me to speak with my psychiatrist about my experience and just being in a room and talking openly like I'm doing right now, which I'm starting to kind of enjoy, the feedback of the people was like, oh, this is what I, this is, you know, I, that, that's what I used to get out of stand-up. Like when yeah. I used to do stand-up, like that energy and you, but you feel like you're really connecting with Connected. people. Connected, yeah. And then, so this is my kind of new version of that because it's something that it's just, it's so important to keep talking about always, 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 always. You can never talk about a dead one or a loved one enough. You know, a dead loved one. Sorry, not a dead one. Doesn't sound that great. Mm. Dead one or a loved one. You say in the book that your therapist talked to you about the importance of a narrative, putting your own narrative down, that so many people don't know their own narrative. When you look at your narrative today, your story, is it one of a working girl who made good? Is it an elitist who got her head smacked? Is it a scared little girl who still feels responsible for her family? What is the narrative of Chelsea Handler at 44? I think I've always had, like, I've always had this real generosity. Mm-hmm. So I think the things that, are gr- that you have, the good qualities, you can make better, you know, the more you grow. So it would be like, that that's the one thing I don't ever regret about myself is being overly generous, even with people that may not have been the right people to be overly generous with. I love to share and I love to travel and I love to do it with big groups and be generous. I think that got me through a lot of stuff because the nature of it was just generous. So when I think about myself today, even though I'm smarter and wiser, there's that little girl part of me that I'll never lose because that is the ebullience and life of the party. And okay, yeah, you need a house, get you one. Like whoever I can help, I want to help. And but I don't, I didn't want that part to go away. Like I thought, oh, if I'm going to become, I'm going to have boundaries and I'm going to be mature. I'm never going to be able to have fun anymore. And it's like. No, those two things combine. I am a working girl from New Jersey. I've had a ton of grief and I've had trauma, but I'm, I'm an ex, like having an exceptional time and even more so by addressing all of my shortcomings. So I think it would just be like, you know, me growing up and I don't know what's going to be happening in 54 years. Maybe I will be the Dalai Lama. Maybe I'll be living in a, you know, I, who knows? I doubt that. But, you know, I didn't think I'd be sitting here talking about this stuff. 
or write a whole book about that stuff. So when you kind of, when you think about, I'm going out on this road, is it to be empathetic? It's my open? apology tour <laughs> to the world. Is it, no. What is it? Is it like, I want to get back into comedy? Is it, I want you to know that I'm more multifaceted. I've broken open. I know you must be struggling with the same things too, but let's laugh too. Yeah. And then let's also cry. Yeah, I think a full range of emotions is key. I like it. You know, I like to go to the highs and the lows, and if the two can be combined, grief and death is can be hilarious. You know, it's not hilarious for five, you know five days straight, but there are moments of pure joy and bliss that you're just not alone when someone's dying, and that you can all have the same embarrassing experience, or your mother says something completely inappropriate, and it's you know th that. Those moments are just so important to share and to talk about because it's such an unspoken understanding that a brother and a sister have. Or, you know, there's a yeah. tacit understanding. We don't sit around and talk about our relationships as much as we should because you want people to know that you love them, you know? And Your how siblings they... know you love them? Yeah, I mean, I hang out with them. That's a good indicator. So at the but, end of the day, when you look at this book, because I know you also did it as an audio book, mm -hmm. and you read it, yeah. Did it make you cry? Did it make you feel proud? Did um, you like, wow. I, t this is the first time that I've, I think this is my sixth book. It is my sixth book. And this is the first time, I hate doing audio recordings. I don't like my voice. I don't like being alone with myself. You said you liked your, being alone with yourself. You I like being alone with myself, but not talking. Like I'm quiet. <laughs> Although sometimes I do talk to myself. I'll make a joke here or there. Um, but no, I, I love my own company. I don't like talking to myself. So the audiobook was the first time I've ever recorded an audiobook, and I was dreading it, like dreading it. And my and Brandon, my assistant, was like, "Just go and get it over with before your vacation, because when you come back, it's going to be all book stuff, and you're not going to want to record an audiobook." And I went in and did it in like six hours over two or three days, and it was the most present, like I really went in and I just had the right head on and attitude. And I was like, this is something that's from my heart. I don't have to do a bunch of accents or, you know, yeah. this is true. And it flowed right out of me. And then that made, you know, when things like that kind of synchronize in your life, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in that moment. It was just too, it was too easy. It just came out and I, it was done. And I thought, wow, this is the best audio recording experience I've ever had. And this is the best book you've ever done. Yeah. By far. Well, that's your opinion, Maria, and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Meaningful Conversations. If you're looking for more inspiration and words of wisdom, then please sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Sunday Paper. It's free and it's really good. Just visit my website, mariashriver.com, to subscribe. I hope you'll also check out my book, I've Been Thinking, and its new companion, I've Been Thinking, The Journal. Like this podcast, these books were created to help you on your path to a meaningful life. More details on my website about all of that as well. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to being in community with you again right here each Monday.